everyone, and welcome to this Ossert 2010 podcast. I'm Patrick Gray. RB2's coverage of the Ossert 2010 conference is brought to you by Microsoft Forefront. So thanks to Microsoft for making all of these podcasts possible. In the following recording, you'll hear Marcus Ranham's keynote speech from day two of the Ossert conference. Marcus is Tenable Network Security's Chief Security Officer, and he's widely credited as an early pioneer in firewall technology. His talk is titled Scenes from the 2010 US-China Cyber War, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, what I'd like to do today is talk about the, the cyber war thing and some of the marketing and news relating to cyber war, because frankly, I am quite puzzled. I, my, my feelings about the cyber war thing have been largely mystification. I don't understand how so many fairly rational people, as we generally find in the computer security industry, have been able to take this thing as seriously as they appear to be taking it. Because there are things that just don't seem to line up for me about the whole concept of cyber war, specifically the kind of the US versus China or China versus US cyber war that we've been hearing so much about in, in, in this year and, and late last year. And so what I thought I would do is kind of publicly ruminate about what puzzles me about this whole story. And, I, and so I picked a couple of aspects of the story that I thought would be kind of fun to, to, to drill into. And then I'll, I'll try to see if I can make a few practical comments uh, towards the end. So, so you know, joking aside, I, I just, there's a lot of rhetoric about this that just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Now, if we actually wanted to start trying to think about when the whole cyber war meme started to roll. I mean, of course, there was Wynne Schwartow's um, rather bad science fiction novel called Information Warfare, and, then, um, and we've had lots of bad science fiction novels about information warfare since then. But, you know, I like to date the beginning of the, the cyber war to, to, to May 1998 when Mudge or Peter Zatko uh, basically announced to Congress that, you know, I could crash the entire internet in, in 30 minutes. And um, we also saw the beginning of an American-led effort to essentially promote ourselves, if you wanted to take that perspective, to promote ourselves as the world's foremost badasses in cyber warfare. Because after all, we've got these books like Hacking Exposed and Extreme Hacking Exposed and you know How to Write Buffer Overruns for Fun and Profit. And you've got organizations like SANS that are teaching people penetration testing, which is, of course, how to be a cyber warrior light, um, how to be a hacker light, this kind of stuff. So we, we, we began to weaponize cyberspace uh, that was another place where, at least ostensibly in terms of marketing, we were the, in, we were the innovation leaders, right? And then, of course, you get the, the annual DEF CON conference, which is kind of a combination of performance art plus computer security. Um, and so what then must have happened, now this is hypothesis here, but what must have happened is that the, the People's Liberation Army commanders determined that they had a cyber war gap and started to start a, a, a catch-up program. Because obviously, you know, the Americans, you know, we have a bad habit when we, when we invent a new thing that blows stuff up or hurts people. We scout around until we find an excuse for someone we can drop it on. And then we tell CNN we're going to drop it real soon. Right? Remember the, the, uh, the, the Moab, right? The mother of all bombs. I mean, how, how freaking immature is it that, that, these, that these military leaders 
would kind of market a device designed to vaporize people and then turn it into a media event when we drop it on a bunch of people and, and kind of go, wow, look, it worked. It blew up. You know, well, there were some guys there who you know, suffered from this. But anyway, so the People's Liberation Army, if they were at all rational, saw the Americans and saw Mudge on television and saw, saw that we were starting to train cyber warriors. And they said, well, we, you know, we have to do something about this. And so the first step was to recruit 180,000 cyber warriors. Uh, where did I come up with that number? Well, we'll talk about that. But So joking aside, it's fairly easy to wonder why, why, why are we the ones who are complaining about the Chinese launching cyber attacks all over the world when if you look at the, the vast majority of the commercial hacking activity, it's coming from the U.S. So if you were actually a rationalist, which I like to imagine that I am when I haven't had too much beer, um, you would be wondering... Why isn't the whole world complaining about us, not the other way around? Right? Why aren't the whole intelligent people in the world going, you know, what's wrong with you Americans? You built this internet thing. You talked us into hooking up with it. You talked us into running your software from Microsoft and, and you know, Linux and all this kind of stuff. And now you're, you're proliferating cyber weapons. I mean, you're the guys who've got, you know, meta, well, actually Metasploit, but you know, Core Impact. You've got all these companies that are devoted to producing cyber offensive weapons, um, and you're constantly promoting and training hackers, what the hell are you guys doing? And more to the point, why are you complaining about the Chinese? Or anyone else, for that matter? Right? Seems like a reasonable question to ask. And what's fascinating about all the rhetoric, at least in the U.S., from where I hear it, where people are, you know, we've got, you know, the Secretary of State of the United States going, you know, China needs to do something to rein in its cyber hackers. And as far as I can tell, nobody has said, you know, gosh, it would be really great if you Americans reined in your cyber hackers. It's just not happening. This is kind of bizarre. And then, of course, we've also got... DARPA, which is constantly funding, you know, security technologies. We've got government connection between our offensive weapons writers and our defensive weapons writers. But we've got, you know, huge government connections. We've now, you know, essentially embraced portions of the hacker community into our weapons research labs for building, for building cyber weapons. We own the search engines that everybody's using, which is an incredibly valuable thing, Right. And we publish all these articles about hacking technique constantly, and we're bragging about it, and you know what, what exactly the hell is going on here? Um, and then we started seeing the, the next evolution in the cyber war, which was accusations of targeting dissidents. I mean, you've, you've, you've all heard this, right? Um, the Chinese government must have been going after uh, supporters of the Dalai Lama when they launched this particular penetration attempt. Blah, 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 right? we, we saw all these kinds of accusations going back and forth. We saw accusations that dissidents' accounts on Gmail were being targeted as part of the penetrations that occurred recently. You know, maybe they are, maybe they're not. And then we also saw analysis indicating that there are you know, huge botnets, and some of these botnets are being used to attempt to sieve for and collect information on, on what dissidents are doing. Um, those seem to be interesting accusations, but what exactly is going on here? And, and who is the United States to say, you Chinese shouldn't be going after your dissidents, when, you know, by U.S. law, every carrier in the United States has to backdoor all their systems so the FBI can do wiretaps, right? I mean, I, I think maybe what's going on here is if anything is going on, it's the Chinese are jealous of the U.S.'s built-in capability to monitor all your communications. I'd be pissed off, too. I mean, we built Google. 
well, not we, but you know, Google built Google. But the FBI basically has a backdoor into the back of Google, and so we don't have to hack into the dissident's accounts. We simply do a, a search order, or we do a warrantless wiretap. Right? We do it. We we classify it. We do this under the federal, uh, you know, federal laws that uh, that violate our constitution, but that have been upheld as okay because it's got to do with you know terrorism. Um, I would appreciate it if someone could explain to me someday the difference between a terrorist and a dissident. But um, I mean, it's got something to do with the methods that they choose, but kind of the way that governments react to them are remarkably similar. So. Maybe um, we have a problem in terms of, you know, that we're the guys in a glass box throwing stones when we're screaming that they're targeting dissidents, when we're not only targeting dissidents, we're targeting our own, our own citizens. And, okay, well, that's interesting, right? This is a good way of creating dissidents. So the next scene in, this, in the cyber war as it unfolded was accusations of censorship. And China, of course, practices censorship. Every government practices censorship. Even if it's only to prevent people from, you know, like under 18-year-old boys from seeing a pair of naked breasts or something, you know, horrifying and eye-searing and mind-searing like that. Or maybe a copy of the anarchist cookbook or perhaps engaging in some hate speech because we all know hate speech kills. Although there are laws saying um, that incitement to violence is a problem. Uh, you know, it's okay if you're a right-wing or left-wing ideologue on television to say we should, you know, beat the crap out of all of those illegal Mexican immigrants who are coming across the border. It's okay to say that, um, but that's not hate speech. Um, but it was fascinating that the United States Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, who, by the way, is, is uh, a supporter of censorship herself, called on Beijing to, to have an open investigation into you know, letting the internet be free and uncensored. And, and Hillary Clinton, of course, is a supporter of legislation in California, which has been overturned as unconstitutional several times. But the California state government, which is, which is below budget and having to lay people off, continues to spend tens of millions of dollars fighting itself in court in order to prevent underage people from playing Grand Theft Auto, okay? And if that's not censorship, I don't know what it is. Um, of course, I don't believe censorship is a good idea in any case. I'm a little bit of an ideologue about that myself. Uh, I'm deeply concerned about censorship. America's founding fathers, who, you know, it's, it's typical if you're an American to stand up and kind of talk about our founding fathers like they were brilliant people, but they were also ideologues who were, who were very passionate about what they were doing, um, and they were kind of deeply traumatized by some things, and, and you know, I, I, honestly, I would say that if Thomas Paine were alive today, we would probably consider him pretty badly adjusted. I mean, he was, a, he was a great writer and a very good political thinker, but he was kind of nuts about the issue of censorship. And so it's possible that the United States' brief experiment with having a First Amendment freeing speech was something that was kind of retroactively seen as not such a good idea, and we've kind of scaled it back a little bit. So why are we lecturing the Chinese about free speech? Well, speech in China is nowhere near as free as it is in America. But, you know, pot... Kettle, I'd like to make an introduction. Um, <clears throat> right. Every ISP in the United States is required to keep a variety of transactional data about what goes back and forth in case the U.S. government wants it. 
right? The FBI doesn't need to target distance. They just simply have to ask. And uh, I didn't, I, I apologize, I didn't explain the little screenshot that I had uh, a couple of slides ago. But uh, if you're interested in, um, in this, uh, go to cryptomy.org and look for spying documents. And what that was, was that was the, um, that was the price list from a major U.S. carrier for how much they charge for a wiretap for the FBI. These bastards have turned it into a profit center, right? At $2,000 a pop, they will fill out your warrantless wiretap information for you. And I think that the, the number that was mentioned recently was that there were something like 20,000 of them last year. So we're talking millions of dollars are flowing from the taxpayers. Um, essentially, we, are, we, we stupid American taxpayers are paying ourselves to spy on ourselves, um, which is not very smart, right? But at least we were smart enough to make the ISPs retain this information so that we could be spied at at their expense. So the taxpayers didn't, didn't pay for the ISP's infrastructure so that we could spy on ourselves and then pay for the wiretaps so that we could spy ourselves, although we do pay for the FBI, which spies on us. Um, so the question here is, who's got the cyber war anti-dissident capabilities? I, again, if I were the Chinese, I would be envious of America's dissident smashing skills. Uh, we won't even get into the, the hypothetical stuff that happened after September 11th, like the, you know, the Total Information Awareness Project, which has been killed and keeps resurrecting itself like some horrific zombie from a, a, a George Romero movie. And keep, you know, so, well, it's now it's, it's something else. We give it a different name. It's the same thing. It works the same way. It uses different, slightly different technology, but, but uh, it's now a different program. So you guys know we have no Total Information Awareness Program at all anymore. Right, so... The bottom line is it doesn't really matter. If you're the target of government monitoring, it doesn't matter whether you're a dissident, a child predator, an online pornographer, um, a free speaker, or you know, somebody who just wants to innocently write your hobbyist how to build H-bomb plans. Um, <clears throat> which which you know is another is another whole topic that we could go on for a long time but you know there's always the you know, the bomb making plans on the internet and stuff like that but but you know why is the state particularly worried about us having that sort of information what they should be worried about is us having easy access to concentrated nitric acid and fissionable materials and as we've seen recently with some of the, the kind of the bizarre gyrations that the Iranians have been doing, by the way, does anyone in here believe that, that they want that for peaceful purposes? Okay. Which is bizarre, because we have the whole international community kind of going, well, we're going we're gonna to look at this obvious lie and act like you're serious. Um, <clears throat> but then we're going to treat you like we know it's an obvious lie. But, so we've got this bizarre thing. But anyway, um, you know, who, who, what's going on here? How does this line up? Why, are, why, is, why is one of the countries that has one of the best online citizen surveillance technologies that has ever existed going around taking to task anyone else, for that matter? The Chinese just have their, their kind of lame great firewall of China, but we, we own the data sources. We rule. Okay. Um, and I shouldn't even mention, you know, uh, we have all sorts of bizarre laws intended to legislate morality. I, I mean, we don't need to really talk about pornography very much. The bizarre thing about pornography uh, and censorship in the United States is that since the government is paid for by the people, and the Department of Justice is paid for by the people, and the Supreme Court is paid for by the people, we are essentially got the people suing themselves over something that they had no desire to do whatsoever. So what keeps happening is, 
in order to protect, um, you know, in order to protect young Americans' fragile eyeballs from seeing a pair of breasts or a scrotum uh, on, t- on, on the internet, and I know none of you have ever seen anything remotely like that, because obviously it's working, but in order to protect this, th- us from this happening, our government passes laws, and then other branches of our government say, no, that's unconstitutional. And then the branch that passed the laws says, wow, we just spent $30 million worth of taxpayers' money litigating to pass this law that there wasn't a citizen outcry saying we need a law against tits, okay? I mean, honestly, you could see more pornography out in the Vendor show than you can <laughs> on the Internet. Um, because I don't know about you, but when I see a really pretty girl, I think I'm going to go buy networking equipment. Um, that's my usual reaction. Um, and and I'm, not, I'm not trying to bash the vendors for trying to make their booths more attractive, but, but you know, as, as a heterosexual male, I appreciate, I appreciate the females, but I'd like to see one vendor just one day have like a beefy male bodybuilder just to freak everybody out. And I bet you, I bet you that some hypocrite would complain. Right? If you had a muscular boy toy saying, buy my networking equipment, <laughs> right? somebody would go, that's disgusting. <laughs> right? But the Kaspersky girls are pretty cute. Anyway, uh, so, um, yeah, anyway, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, is the enemy to Marcus, right? That's what I look for. What I'm, what I'm trying to share with you here is my amazing puzzlement at how we can, we can appear to be so concerned about something but yet be so hypocritical about it, right? Again, how can the government of California claim to be so concerned about children playing grand, under 18 playing Grand Theft Auto that they're willing in a budget crisis where they're laying people off to spend millions of dollars litigating against themselves over something that, as far as I can tell, there has been no citizen outcry for. Citizens are not the ones who are sitting there going, oh my God, protect my children from Grand Theft Auto. Because most grown-ups understand that if you want to protect your kids from Grand Theft Auto, you take away their freaking console. Right? Or else you come along and you say, you're playing Grand Theft Auto. I told you not to do that. Go mow the lawn. This is how you protect your children against Grand Theft Auto. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit more about suppressing dissidents. Right? The Chinese are suppressing dissidents. Okay. Well, in March 2008, this has all come clear, ironically, through WikiLeaks. But, you know, the DOD was planning whether or not it was doing feasibility studies to see whether it was possible to hack WikiLeaks in order to shut it down, because it's a threat. The documents for this are all on, uh, on WikiLeaks' site, and you can look at them yourself if you'd like. And they're all things like, you know, does WikiLeaks represent a threat to U.S. national security? What, what, it's a you know, website. How does it present a threat to U.S. national security again? But anyway, um, what represents... Again, this is one of those things of blaming completely the wrong part of the problem. If your problem is that you can't keep your own classified information secure, don't blame WikiLeaks. Look at yourself and go, why can't we keep our classified information from winding up on WikiLeaks, not how can we shut WikiLeaks down? Right? That's the problem with this ideology of suppressing dissidents and suppressing censorship. If your problem is that your child is an insane psychopath who likes to get up in clock towers and shoot at police cars, don't blame Grand Theft Auto. Ask yourself how you raised him, right? Uh, that he turned into such a, a complete fruitcake. Um, and then, you know, this is what I would have loved. I, what I don't understand is why the Chinese have been so forbearing with us Americans. Maybe it's because we're their biggest trade partner. 
Maybe it's because they own one-third of our economy and they just don't want to slap us down too hard. But why on earth these people haven't basically said, Hillary, shut the hell up, you big, fat, lying hypocrite, right? I mean, frankly, the, the, the way to shut Hillary Clinton up is to just say, dodging sniper fire in Bosnia, right? You idiot. Uh, anyway, um, so in response to the concerns from the U.S. government about the Chinese suppression of dissonance on the Internet, what we did is when the Iranian government stole an election and everybody in the world stood by and watched, we said, let's keep Twitter up. Those guys need to tweet. Okay, now, the irony of telling someone who's having the shit beaten out of him by jackbooted thugs with truncheons that you need Twitter is kind of, it's kind of disgusting. But the US, U.S. officials, including, again, Hillary Clinton, the hypocrite in chief, were encouraging Twitter to keep that capability online, as far as I can tell, to help foment rebellion in Iran. The Iranian government had no way to look at that situation other than that the U.S., for some reason, was unilaterally saying, gosh, we have a technology by which your rebels might be able to organize themselves to fight better against your jackbooted thugs, and we're going to promote that and encourage people to use it. Right? That's bizarre. Right? We would, in, in the U.S., I, you know, you've seen how we behave in international politics. If somebody, if somebody went along and said, you know, uh, let's say, imagine the French, because they're kind of our, our annoying European friends in chief. But imagine that the French didn't like the Arizona legislation that requires people to be carrying their ID at all times, another violation of U.S. law, um, so that they can be checked if they're brown. Um, imagine if the French said, we don't like that, and we're going to start building, you know, false ID-generating technology for Mexican, uh, you know, for Mexicans who want to appear to be U.S. citizens. We would freak the fuck out, right? We would, we would, rename, we would rename French dressing freedom dressing. Because <laughs> if changing the name of French fries didn't fix them, the dressing would really sting. Um, you know, so, so uh, you know, what the, what the hell's going on here? So we, we sit here and we're promoting revolution in, in a country where we've promoted revolution a couple times. In fact, we essentially promoted the revolution that put the government in place that we don't like right now, right, which is a big problem. I mean, Ayatollah, Ayatollah Khomeini was one of the thugs that the CIA paid to run around and cause trouble for the Pahlavi family. Um, and he grew up distrusting Americans. I don't know why. Um, but he's basically our own little Frankenstein monster. Um, and so, you know, the Iranians are not amused. And yet at the same time, Congress is targeting our own social networking sites for data retention. The hypocrisy reeks. How can we possibly, on one hand, be saying, you know, the, Chine the, 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 the Chinese shouldn't be suppressing dissidents, and we're sitting here going, you know, the FBI has just realized that, that, that Twitter could be a problem, and, and we're sitting here promoting Twitter as a problem against these other guys. What the hell is going on, right? And so Iran lashed back. Their, their marketing is just not as good as, as Hillary Clinton's, which is kind of funny if you think about that. Um, uh, they, they arrested 30 people in, in Tehran and basically said that they were U.S. cyber war agents. And we really don't know exactly what happened because it didn't get a lot of press play. Uh, one of the problems with clamping down on your press is it's kind of hard for your, your, your information to get out. But, but 
the, Iran the Iranian government hacked a couple of internal websites and kind of kicked in some doors. And apparently these guys were distributing US-made anti-censorship software, whatever that is, I don't know. Is it, the, is it the green wall thing? Is it Tor? Is it, is it PGP? Is it, right? is, it, is it any of these things that come from American anti-dissident lab, or research labs, or, or, or exactly what's going on? We don't know. But the irony is kind of interesting, right? Because here we're sitting here complaining about what the Chinese are doing, and then we're doing kind of exactly the same thing, only less competently, someplace else. Next scene. The 180,000 script kitties. I, I, I don't get this one. I, I, I lie awake at night wondering how in the hell this one came along. So um, journalist, uh, oh, geez, Gerald Posner, who writes for The Beast, um, who's a, I think he's a very credible journalist. I've read his books on, on the assassination of Martin Luther King and the, the assassination of uh, John F. Kennedy. And he appears to be a, a fairly credible investigative journalist and a fairly decent writer as well. So he writes this article in which he says, he describes how he had an FBI agent uh, expose him to some of the classified information. Presumably this was the Titan, the Titan Rain write-ups about you know, Titan Rain. Um, and so what the hell? Okay, so let me see if I've got this right. The FBI, which is the organization in the United States which is responsible for preventing leaks of classified materials, is giving classified materials to a journalist. Got that? They may as well have just posted it on a men's room wall someplace, or posted it on WikiLeaks, maybe. That would have actually been a lot better, uh, because then all the journalists would have had access to it. I don't know why they picked Gerald Posner to give this briefing to, which is, you know, again, quite bizarre. Um, but anyway, the, the, the report that Posner saw, reportedly, because I haven't actually seen the classified materials, because I don't have any classifications and I don't want to break US law because I'm a nice guy for an anarchist. Um, it alleges that the Chinese had 180,000 cyber warriors. Right? What? what? Here's the other part that's great. Posner's, Posner's write-up about the report says the report alleges that these spies launched 90,000 attacks last year against US government interests. Do the math. That's one half attack per cyber warrior. Hell of a force multiplier, huh? These guys must be contractors working for the Chinese equivalent of the, of, you know, the, the, the Beltway Bandits or something. Maybe they should just download Metasploit or something like that. This is unbelievably lame. 180,000 to, well, what the hell? Now, if you were actually trying to look and see how many cyber warriors the United States had, I suppose you could say everyone who ever went to SANS or studied extreme hacking exposed or who bought a book on how to hack. Uh, was a cyber warrior, in which case we have, what, probably a couple million cyber warriors. Where we're badasses. We could actually do a human wave attack, but I mean, you think about 180,000, I mean, that's, that's what, a, a, that's like an armored core. You know, you could give these guys sharp sticks and they could actually just invade someplace. Um, so it's just completely bizarre. Now let's talk about cyber espionage. What the hell's going on there? There are just too many instances to cite. I mean, there's just constant voicing of concerns about cyber espionage, cyber espionage aimed at economic information. Blah, blah. You've all heard this stuff, right? Honestly, probably legitimate, but duh, right? I, when I was preparing for this talk, I tried to think of or research to figure out the first incidences I could find of economic espionage, and you know, it goes back to prehistory. We, so we don't really know. In fact, 
I'm thinking, and I was thinking this last night as I was tasting some of your fine local brew, that the Sumerians invented beer around about 6,000 BC, and that was probably the first technology that was stolen by cyber spies. Because beer making got around the world real fast, because it's, it's a good thing. But seriously, 1979, 3Com partnered with Huawei and formed a subsidiary called uh, um, H3C. This was in 2003. What was the sounded in 1979? I'm not quite sure what that, that point is on my PowerPoint. Sorry about that. Delete that one in your mind. But um, it was probably 1997. Uh, but anyway, yeah. No, 3Com was founded in 79. Yeah, anyway, okay. But so Freecom partners with Huawei, and they form this Chinese subsidiary. What does that mean? What that means is that they built a factory in China so that they could get around Californian manufacturing laws for dealing with toxic materials, because the Chinese don't care about that, and they could have people who work for much, much cheaper than Californians and Americans do. And they took the intellectual property from the United States. They took 3Com's knowledge of how to build switches and wires and all that kind of, kind of stuff, and they exported it to China in return for cheap labor. What about this as an intellectual, you know, economic espionage here, right? And they built, they, they did all their manufacturing and R&D in China, they built all the switches, they built all the routers, they built all the firewalls, and then, oh, the shock, the amazement, the horror, Huawei starts competing with Cisco with all of the technologies that they learned how to make from 3Com. I mean, I'm not saying the Chinese are stupid either, right? So the Chinese were, the Chinese were going, oh, that's how you do it. Okay, we can do this better and cheaper and, you know, and stuff like that. There was intellectual property, doubtless added, by the Chinese researchers who were looking at American intellectual property and going, okay, we can, we can make better than this for less and let's go kick their asses. What about this as economic espionage? Here's the thing. How do you steal intellectual property from a capitalist? You ask for it. Because capitalists will go crazy over short-term gain every day, right? We taught the Koreans, the South Koreans, by extension the North Koreans, how to make all sorts of really cool space-age composites because we were getting to the point where our laws about dealing with toxic stuff were making it too expensive to do in the U.S. And then 10 years later, the Koreans are competing with us, with our, against us with our own technology, and they can do it cheaper, which is why we moved there in the first place. And now we're going, ow, that hurts. It's kind of stupid, isn't it, to cause a problem and then go complaining about the side effects of that problem that you went and caused yourself. It's, you know, it's, it would be as pathetic as me whinging to you about the splitting headache I have last night, and you all could chant in unison, why did you drink so much beer, Marcus? And Okay, that's a good point. Why isn't anyone doing this to our capitalists who are complaining about industrial espionage from China? All right. how, do you, how do you steal intellectual property from a U.S. corporation at the boardroom level. That's how you do it, and you do it legally. More, 2003, the Chinese government said, we're concerned about Microsoft Windows maybe having a trapdoor in it from your cyber spies that you've been talking so much about. We want the source code to Windows, and Microsoft said, Microsoft did not say, oh, you are suppressing dissidents, bad Chinese. They went here. I don't think they probably thought about it for more than two seconds. Right? That's a $3 billion, $30 billion, whatever the number is. It's a huge market. Let's just give it to them. How do you steal intellectual property from capitalists? You ask. You go, capitalists jump. Right? And the capitalist will jump. That's how it works. 
the Chinese are concerned about trapdoors and they want to look at it. And now we have the US government is saying the Chinese have done deep analysis of Windows and they've been able to penetrate it. Yeah, we gave them the fucking source code. Right? It's the same thing as with Google.cn, okay? The hacks against Google appear to have come in through Google.cn. I mean, come on. If you were an intelligence officer working for the Chinese government, would you bother to hack into Google.cn from the side, or would you just send in your resume? Right? Because honestly, if you work for the State Intelligence Bureau, you can probably cook a resume pretty credibly. You know, yes, this guy, in fact, you might actually be a, a, a good Perl programmer. All right? And you, so you just have, I, I have no idea how many potential agents in place could be in, injected into one of those places. And the great part is that they get Google stock options while they're in there. Right? I mean, I'd be pissed about that. I mean, can you imagine how much it would suck to be a Chinese agent in place working in Google.cn and you make millions of dollars in stock options and then you come out and the government goes, give. No, 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 I earned it. No, you didn't. That's ours. That has to suck. All right? Okay, so obviously the Chinese, gov the Chinese government with, with Microsoft's source code were able to write better spyware. What amazes me is that anyone in the United States isn't just falling down and rolling around, waving their feet and laughing when people in the United States government complain that the Chinese appear to know an awful lot about Windows inside. It's just bizarre, right? So how do you steal an economic secret from a capitalist? One, you ask nicely. Two, you threaten them with Linux. Three, you dangle opportunity to penetrate a new market. You make protectionist rumbles. We were not going to let you have Windows in this country. And let, right? All of the above. And what happens, the capitalists will fall over themselves to get their intellectual property into your hands as fast as possible. It's, it's stupid. I mean, I'm not saying it's stupid to be a capitalist. Because, uh, I mean, at that level, I think probably the best thing to do to prevent these kinds of silly national wars that we humans keep having, that the 20th, 20th century was a fairly unpleasant time marked with a certain amount of national rivalry over rather pointless things. And the best way to do that is to make all of our economic interests so intertwined that the capitalists who really run the governments and will kind of go, no, 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 let's not fight them. It's bad for business, right? They're not going to buy our, they're not going to buy our routers if we, uh, if we're, you know, shooting at them, and 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 they're not going to buy windows if they're shooting at us. So let's just keep it cool, right? So here's what's here's what's going on. Back to this FBI report. This FBI report, a different one, I, I, I haven't been able to obtain, obtain the actual thing again because I, if I did, I'd be saying I, you know, I've got classified material and I don't have a clearance for it. So. But the FBI report allegedly contained this phrase that the cyber war has weapons of mass destruction-like capabilities. And if that doesn't scare you, I don't know what will. You have noticed that when Americans think they're threatened with weapons of mass destruction, we nuke someone. Right? We just will, or we'll drop a, you know, we'll drop thermobaric explosives on you that have the same amount of power as a nuke, but is not as politically unacceptable. This should scare you. This should really scare you. Anytime you hear militarists starting to promote the enemy's weapons and downplay their own, it means that they're running up for an excuse to test them out and see how they work. Okay? And then we see claims like this. We're fighting and losing a cyber war, right? And then there was this amazing, Thing called cyber shockwave, 
which was run by Booz Allen and Hamilton, which is a big defense contractor. Think Halliburton. It's, it's, one of, it's like a cyber Halliburton, if you will. Um, and the scenario that they ran, so, so this was a marketing exercise. This wasn't a technically credible thing at all. What they did is they got a bunch of congressmen, congressional aides. They got uh, Vice Admiral McConnell, who was the former head of the NSA and parts of the intelligence community, um, as the point man for this, McConnell now works for Booz Allen Hamilton, and they put together this scenario, which they actually ran on CNN. So they brought a bunch of ignorati who wouldn't know a router from a hole in the ground, brought them in, and they went, ooh, scary. And they all left going, wow, that's scary. Honestly, congressmen are so stupid about, about cyber anything that if you brought them in and you had a bunch of ex-military guys do a credible-sounding briefing about the zombie outbreak that was going to happen, congressmen would be saying everybody needs to you know, go home and buy a shovel and a sledgehammer. Right? I'm moving to Brazil. Um, right? So the scenario is this following thing. A worm gets into smartphones. Let's imagine it's an iPhone. A worm gets, there's a new fast-propagating worm that gets released in the iPhones. The worm goes every place, and the cell providers and phone providers' networks collapse. And that, what the hell does a network collapse mean? Right? So the, 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 the phone services collapse, which means that Wall Street uh, can't, Wall Street traders can't do trades anymore, and they panic, and then Wall Street crashes, and then it jumps to this air travel is disrupted. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. They are making it up, right? This is their bullshit, not mine. So don't, I, I notice some people out here are kind of bugging their eyes at me going, what? That was my reaction. That should be anyone's reaction who knows anything about computers, right? Because we all understand that if it was a, a worm that got loose in iPhones and all the iPhones died... People would get work done for a while. But, but what, would happen, what would happen is that, you know, the, the guys who are selling other competing products would be going, hey, if your iPhone's not working today, you get a $5 off sale on a BlackBerry, right? Because these networks are not one big network. The internet is not one big network. If somebody sits here and talks about the internet as if it's a unitary thing, someone like Mudge says, I could take down the internet, he's an idiot, Nobody with a brain will treat the internet as a single organism. It's like saying, you know, so you could crash Marcus's left toe and all of Marcus will die. Uh, it's not going to happen. But so air travel is disrupted. Because Wall Street crashes, the airlines just stop flying. I don't quite get that, how that one worked out. Because we all understand that as soon as there's an air travel disruption, people start killing each other and eating them in the streets. Um, just like what happened with the Icelandic volcano ash, ash cloud, where air travel was disrupted all over Europe, the Europeans were killing and eating themselves all over the sky. I, I, anyway, that's what I heard on CNN. I, this one blows my mind. Cyber war pundits keep saying these completely farcical things. Like, if you could get into the computers that move the train traffic up and down the East Coast and disrupt it, you could cause you know, a complete economic collapse of the U.S. And I go, what about the Amtrak strike of 1979? I go, oh, yeah, that doesn't count. Oh, it doesn't count. Okay. What about the ash cloud? Well, that doesn't count. Right? As far as I, I mean, I saw some great stuff on BBC uh, about it, and there was a guy in, uh, in Hong Kong who was complaining that he couldn't get chocolates from Belgium during the ash cloud problem. So it is a serious issue. I'm not trying to make light of it. Um, so, you know, what happens? I mean, honestly, is the U.S. going to collapse into chaos if our iPads stop working? 
right? Maybe I could see that. But here's the part that's so fascinating. Cyber Shockwave does this huge <laughs> bad things happen to the internet, be very afraid scenario. And then it says, and kinetic weapons are used to bring down parts of the power grid. What? Kinetic strikes against the power grid. Okay, so suddenly they've switched from we're worried about uh, a worm that's screwing up Wall Street. By the way, Wall Street doesn't get screwed up that easily, right? Their physical traders would keep trading and they would use their blackberries and Wall Street would just keep chugging. Um, but, and then someone blows up pieces of the power grid. Well, yeah, that would actually hurt. I mean, that's actually real pain. That's not cyber, right? That's blowing stuff up. Blowing stuff up is a real attack. And one of the things we have seen is that real attacks actually work. That's why terrorists use real attacks. They actually blow real stuff up, and it's expensive, bloody, painful, scary, all that kind of stuff. Right? Whereas if, if, if you can't get to World of Warcraft or your iPhone stops working, you're, you're just going to, you know, I don't know, play Halo on your Xbox or something else. Um, and, and this is what I don't understand. Right? It's completely obvious that the people who are writing and promoting these, these scenarios have got no idea how real networks actually work and collapse under load, which is bizarre because, I mean, presumably this means that Admiral, Vice Admiral McConnell doesn't know anything about networks either. And more to the point, the press who were in these things didn't stand up and go, sir, you're lying. Sir, you're full of shit. That is completely ridiculous. That wouldn't happen. Nobody did this. So are, are, are we to understand that the technical press completely forgot to stand up and go BS on any of this. They just stood there and went, wow, yeah, that sounds credible to me. Right? Am I the only person here who has got his eyes open about this? I, maybe. You know, am I crazy? I start to wonder. Because my peers, you know, respectable security practitioners and networkers, they all go, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I, there is a real threat there. What is the threat? Right? One of the problems is, you know, why would someone blow up a piece of our power grid? What's the point in doing this? Well, it's going to cause disruption and economic disruption. What's the point of causing disruption and economic disruption? Well, it might weaken the United States for attack. And you go, wait a second. Is, are any of our satellites showing any signs that the Chinese have a force projection capability that would allow them to invade Florida? Or, or Los Angeles? God forbid they could. I mean, the gangsters in Los Angeles would frickin' whack them. But, uh, you know, they would, they would land and they would just be shot down like flies. But, but you know, because most American citizens are probably about as well armed. But, um, you know, what exactly is going on here? Right? The premise of using cyber warfare as a force multiplier has to be coupled to some kind of militarily achievable goal. There is no value whatsoever in crushing a piece of the U.S. economy or bringing down the Northeast power grid so the New Yorkers start eating each other instead of smoked salmon. And, and then what? Right? You have to have the follow-through. There has to be a practical end then. Now, normally when I make this derisive point about cyber war, somebody will say something to the effect of, what if the Chinese wanted to take Hong Kong back? The Chinese are huge trade partners through Hong Kong, through third parties, they probably don't want to take Hong Kong. But, but more to the point, even if they you know, did want to take Hong Kong, they're not going to just launch a cyber attack and then suddenly, you know, uh, oh, shoot, what, mobilize all the troops that are necessary and get them on boats and go attack Hong Kong, which, by the way, has got some pretty decent defenses of its own. It's not like it's just going to suddenly fold up. And besides, if they really actually wanted to 
to do something like this, all he would have to do is wait until an American president without any political will got into office who saw that our army was completely tapped out with pointless wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, and they could go, hey, guys, here's the deal. We were thinking about, you know, taking Hong Kong. And so, sorry, Taiwan, whatever. I'm sorry. Yes, the headache. Uh, I'll blame the headache. But we were thinking about doing this thing, and I'll tell you what, we're not going to move the yen to the euro if you guys just sit by and let that happen. That's how these things happen in in the grown-up world. It's not done with cyber attacks. Um, so here's some, here's some other ones, right? I can't understand. The economic collateral damage. We've got the FBI, which is a junior agency of the Department of Justice, going around saying the U.S. power grid systems are completely compromised by state-sponsored hackers. Okay. And at the same time, U.S. power companies are bidding to the Chinese to build their new smart grid. You can't buy marketing like this. Right? So we got the FBI going, our smart grid systems suck, but you should buy a lot of them from, from our U.S. power companies because, after all, they're so easily built that you know, even a 14-year-old from Tulsa can run one from his mom's basement. It's just completely ridiculous. And again, why is the FBI carrying out international diplomacy? So let me be a little bit serious for a couple of seconds. Here's the problem. There's this revolving door between spooks and the intelligence community and Beltway Bandits. And what they're doing is they're conspiring to jam open the money faucet. This is nothing but cyber war economic stimulus. The problem is, these are the same people who built the networks that they're saying suck. Right? These guys, you know, like former NSA head, intelligence community head, McConnell, who's sitting there going, we need to spend lots and lots of money to get out of this problem. It's the problem he owned a little while ago. He ought to be intimately familiar with the problem because the screw-up happened on his watch. And now he wants to sell the taxpayers a solution to the problems that he was supposed to have been solving while he was working for the taxpayers. It's kind of ridiculous, right? Now, you want to talk about a threat to national security. It's greedy, mendacious bastards like that that we really ought to be worrying about. It's capitalists who are willing to sell out their economic future in return for a short-term bump on their stock options that we ought to be worried about. So, again, how do you uh, defeat a capitalist? Well, the way you defeat capitalism is by letting the parasitic load build up until it dies of blood loss. That's pretty much what Marx said. I just kind of rephrased it a little bit. These parasites, like Admiral McConnell and these kinds of people, are the ones that are going to wind up bringing us down, not the Chinese, right? And so here's one of the ones that stuck in my mind while I was researching this. You know, Chinese hackers even managed to penetrate DHS's $1.5 billion network. What the hell did DHS spend a billion and a half dollars on to build a network? That's just a lot of money. And all they are, I mean, what does DHS actually, let's not go into that. So I I have a couple things, and these I just added so that uh, you could have the slides in your book. I'm not going to have time to, to, to rant about these. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Think about this yourself. I can't really tell you what to think. But we've got different agendas that are going on here, and they do not line up. We've got cyber criminals who are profit-moded. We've got cyber spies who are surreptitious. That's what spies do, right? They do covert... They basically ask for a job with you, and then they dime out your secrets. If you read the history of the Cold War, you can see that the the KGB was able to essentially buy every secret that wanted from Americans for not a whole lot of money, right? Like uh, the Walker the Walker spy family. I think it was a boat that the guy traded the KH11 for. Um, it was like a hundred thousand dollar 
payout that he got from the KGB, and he gave all of the design stuff for the KH-11 spy satellite to them. That, that's how you defeat a capitalist. You, you offer to buy him a new boat. Right? Aldrich James had a nice Jaguar XJ-12, and he sold, uh, he sold essentially all of our counterintelligence information uh, that, for the CIA to the Russians. Right? That's the cyber espionage agenda. The terrorists, they don't really care. If there are, there's, I don't think terrorism is as big a deal as people are trying to make it out to be for, for a lot of reasons, but they're trying to cause fear. These agendas don't line up. Causing fear defeats the agenda of the cyber criminal, and causing fear causes reaction, which defeats the agenda of the cyber spy. And the cyber warrior's attempt is to attack, degrade, penetrate, suborn, and take over command and control, which means that the cyber warrior is implacably opposed to the agenda of the cyber spy. And in fact, the cyber criminal makes the cyber warrior's job more difficult. My favorite scenario of all this one is, you know, imagine that you're the, the head of cyber war for, let's pick a, a, Finland is going to attack the United States and bring us to our knees so that they can invade us. And actually, if the Finns, I think, would be a credible threat. But, because um, those guys are tough, right? But, you know, so imagine that Finland is getting ready to a, a, attack the, the United States and you're the head of the cyber war agency and, and you know, the, the soldiers there and they're all ready to jump in the land ships and go all the way around the world to, to, attack, uh, to attack Florida, and, um, and the commander turns to you and says, launch the attack, click go, and, and you say, oh, sir, today's um, Wednesday. What does that mean? Yesterday was Microsoft Patch Tuesday. <laughs> what does that mean? Our cyber weapons, well, they, um, they relied on a feature in, a, in a Windows that was fixed in the last release. And they'll just and they take take you out and you get a bullet in the head and that's the end of you, okay? So I, I, I'm out of time, but think about this: the agenda misalignment is so severe that the concept of these capabilities working together is ridiculous, right? Because in certain cases, the activities of one stomp on top of the desires of the other. And what happens is the cyber war pundits essentially glob these all together and say they're the same problem. Right? They're absolutely not the same problem. The other part is if we look at our defense strategies, our defense strategies don't work against them the same way. What the point about this one is the, the down here on the right. Any business that is at all intelligent is going to say, why should I protect myself against cyber war? That's what we pay the government taxes for. And the government says, well, we're actually too incompetent to do that. We took your tax money, and we spent it on a $1.5 billion network for DHS with platinum 5 cat, cat 5 cables. And then you go, well, why did we pay for you for this again? Besides, we don't know what to do. The only options that we've got, if we're a commercial entity, to protect our networks is the stuff that's out in the vendor. That's the same stuff that everybody's got. We don't have anything new or different. We can't spy on the Chinese or the Finns or every country that we might think want to take, to take us down. That's your job, right? So what's going on with this whole cyber war thing is that our government agencies that were responsible for doing this are basically going, we screwed the pooch, it's the Chinese fault, give us more money. Thank you for your time.